Well, it is good to be here, and if you wouldn't mind actually standing, we're going to read Colossians 3 together, and it's going to be up there. It's the next slide. Um, so Colossians 3, 12 to 17. So if you can, hopefully you can see that okay. Um, we're going to go for it. So read with me. One, two, three. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive ever. <laughs> you guys have done good. <laughs> okay. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And the next one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Awesome. You may be seated. You you guys are way better at reading than I am. Sometimes I'm like, I think I'm a little bit dyslexic and I get words all mixed up. Um, yeah, ask Trevor. I I called my water bottle the other day my wobble obble. I don't know. So hopefully you understand what I'm saying today is what I'm getting at. Um, but I don't know if you have ever had this. You know, in science, it's kind of funny because back in the day, and not too long ago, in fact, they used to think that in order to understand something, they needed to understand the parts. So they com would compartmentalize and they would study each individual aspect of an organism or whatever they're studying. And they thought that by understanding those individual parts, that they would then be able to understand the whole. However, what they realized is that you cannot actually understand an organism or whatever just by adding up the parts. Because the whole, when it's together, actually equals more than the sum of the parts. Just studying concepts or little aspects of it will not give you the fullness of what that whole being or organism is when they're all together. You know, if, if we actually lived life like this, could you imagine eating our food like this? Now, I know some people like to have not like having their food touch. But can you imagine actually eating all of the ingredients by themselves? So lasagna, for instance, we got our noodles, and then we've got our meat and our sauce and our, our cheese and our spinach, or if you put spinach in there, or if you're like, oh, I don't eat vegetables, well, then no spinach. Like, that would be disgusting, right? And you got your little pile of spices that you eat by itself. Like, that would be gross. But lasagna by it all together, when it's cooked together, is delicious. You know, it, it, think about our car. If we like, we're like, okay, here's the fabric, here's the metal, here's the um, plastic, and then here's the gas. It would be absolutely useless. It would be good for nothing. A car is useful when it is all together compiled in one whole piece, and everything is doing its own part, is working well. Lasagna is delicious when it's cooked together, but disgusting when you have to eat noodles by themselves and maybe even raw. Maybe some of you like raw noodles, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? If we compartmentalize everything in life, well, so many things would not be useful, and it'd be a waste of time. 
it actually wouldn't work for anything. See, in life, we need everything together, but how many of us actually compartmentalize our lives? It's like we have this here, we have that there, that there, that there, and they don't intersect. I don't know if any of you can relate with my experience, where it's like when I'm at church, well, that's my spiritual life, or that's my work time, but then when I'm at home, well, that's my time, and I can do with it whatever I want, and, and it doesn't matter really in life what I do with it. You know, if I want to go, if I want to watch a movie, I can do that. If I want to clean, I can do that. You know, uh, it's based on what I want to do or what I need to do. But for some reason, a lot of us seem to separate our church life or our spiritual life and our secular life. And I actually don't think that that's what life is supposed to be like. Because we're whole beings. We are holistically made. And if we compartmentalize, we think that maybe one thing doesn't affect the other, but the reality is is one part of our life affects every aspect of our life. When I was in college, I had to listen to this lecture, and it was actually a really good lecture, on uh, about spiritual development of students. And what they said is that students tend to live in different lives. They have their work or their school life, their home life, their church life, their sports life, so on and so on and so on. And, and what spiritual development or maturity looks like for students is when Jesus actually starts to impact every aspect. And they don't live compartmentalized. Because a lot of students can be like, oh, Jesus is the best at church. And then they go to school and they're like, I don't know, Jesus. You know, they live compartmentalized. But I don't think it's just a high school thing. I think it's a humanity thing. I think we all struggle with this at times. I think sometimes we actually think that um, we have maybe not so many different compartments of life but we have these two separate ideas of secular and spiritual, when I think everything is actually supposed to be spiritual. We, we tend to think that our non-spiritual parts of life, the secular things, are just mundane, necessary evils, and that God doesn't really care about them. Sometimes we feel guilty actually doing secular things, or we feel bad that we're not sharing the gospel, or we think that if we're working in the world, our calling isn't as high as being a missionary or a vocational minister. We tend to look down on our calling. We, we tend to think this. I, I feel like, you know, I've been reading some different biographies, and, and it's incredible to look at what some of these people have done, but it's like, well, all of the biographies are written about missionaries or about these amazing pastors, and it's like, so what if you're just working a normal job? Does that mean you're not worthy of a biography? <laughs> what would it actually look like, though? If we live such holistically spiritual lives that were for God, that even in our secular realms, God was infiltrating it, and we were living what God had called us to actually do. Could you imagine what it would look like if people were alive and passionate and excited about what they're doing in their day-to-day life, even when they're driving, that they're excited about what God is doing? I think biographies would be written about people who were normal jobs because they were living what God has called them to live. What would it look like? You know, on one hand, it's kind of funny because obviously I have this vocational ministry call, and so on one hand, I'd actually say it's easier to, to actually focus on God because I'm working for God. I work at a church, right? And so in that sense, I I actually don't envy a lot of you because it's very difficult to keep your focus on the Lord 
when you're working in a secular environment? What does that look like? It's on one hand easier. However, even recently I was praying through this and I was like, God, I, I, I just, what do you want to say to me? And he's like, Amy, I don't want you to work for me. I want you to work with me. See, even my spiritual job can, can become secular if I'm not working with the Lord, if I'm just relying on my own strength. So that what I want to talk about today is not just for all of you who are working in secular environments. This is for me. This is what God has been laying on my heart and calling me to, to say, Amy, every aspect of your life is supposed to be spiritual worship. Everything you do, I want to be a part of it. I want to infiltrate your life. You know, Trevor and I have been wrestling with this and praying through this and just overwhelmed by God's goodness that he wants to bring us into unity, that there is no secular or spiritual, but that it's all one. You know, Trevor, even last night, was like saying, oh man, as I'm driving, I feel like I just need to invite God into that. And for me, well, I've started to every morning say, hey God, here's what my day looks like. Can you come into it? Can you be with me? Can you make me aware of what you're doing, what you want to say Everything that's going on. So when I go to the gym, when I'm reading, when I'm going to, um, when I'm driving, when I'm at work, when I'm uh, going grocery shopping, when I'm going to sleep, God, can you actually infiltrate every aspect of my life so that everything is spiritual instead of having my secular things and my spiritual things. All of life is supposed to be done in Him and for Him. All of life is supposed to be spiritual. Colossians 3, once again, 3.17, it was the last verse that we read there. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, in the New Living Translation, it says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Or in the message, let every detail of your life, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Everything we're supposed to do. Is supposed to be for Christ. And, and we know this, this principle, you know, of Romans 12, where we're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Every aspect of our life is supposed to be worship. So this morning, I want to take this principle and look at it, and, and I actually want to apply it to a particular area of our life where we spend a lot of time, where, where we spend most of our days um, through, like, our 20s to, I don't know, 65, and, and that's our jobs. Most of us spend most of our time either sleeping or at our work, let's be honest. And so many times we look at our work as a necessary evil or something that just has to be done. When I, I want to look at what a different lens could be. I want to look at our work through this lens of whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to look at our work through that lens. So if I can preface, this passage is not particularly about work, but I want to use this as a launching pad, as a great umbrella, um, where everything is supposed to be spiritual. And then I want to look at a kind of a broad, really brief theology. So if you feel like I'm like going everywhere or whatever, a theology is, what does God say about it? What does his Bible say about work? You know, and then I want to bring it back to application in Colossians 3. So that's kind of the layout of today. We've got this big umbrella. Everything is supposed to be spiritual. I want to look at work, and then I want to bring it back to Colossians 3 and application and, and look at how do we actually step into our spiritual work in a secular world. Okay? 
So in order to understand work, in a sense, and how to live spiritual, we need to look at how we see God, first off, and what his view of work is. What does God think about work? What is his view? And it starts right back at the beginning. So if you guys want to put Genesis 1, we're going to go there um, for a bit this morning. Genesis 1. And Genesis 1 verse 1 actually says, and many of you guys could probably quote this with me, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. And, and as you read through Genesis 1, we see that God, every day after he created, he said, it is good. It is very good. Now, here's the thing. If you are creating something, you're making something, that means that you're actually working. God, who is the creator, is a worker. He worked in those six days of creation. And then in um, if we skim ahead to chapter 2, verse 2, it kind of talks about after creation. And it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had done, or he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now God, he created everything in six days. And he said that it was very good. And then he rested. And he didn't rest because he was tired from his work. No, our God is an infinite being. He, has, he is all powerful and he has all the energy. He didn't get tired. Rather, he stepped back and he said, it's good. It's perfect. I don't need to add anything else. And he rested. He enjoyed it. He took time. And we're, we're called to rest because, well, we aren't infinite. <laughs> we are created beings. And we actually do need rest in order to keep going. But here's God. He's a creator. He is a worker. Our God works. And, you know, if you fast forward to the New Testament and you look at Jesus, Jesus talks about work, actually. He actually talks about the work that he came to do. And think about it. Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the, the, the exact representation of God. He came to show us who God was. And what did he do before his ministry, up until he was 30 years old? He was a carpenter. Jesus worked physically with his hands. He wasn't above physical labor. When we think about God or when we think about um, different, I don't know, deities, if we want to use it that way. Like, actually, there's, um, if you want to go to the next slide, there's a quote here that talks about other religions, and it says that the Bible presents a positive perspective on work, which begins with God. This is unlike any ancient religious writing which regarded creation as something beneath the dignity of the supreme being. Scripture unashamedly describes God as a worker. Work starts with God. It began with God. And then Jesus came and he was God himself. And he didn't view himself as above work. But rather he worked with his hands. He was probably a pretty strong guy. He swung a hammer or two. He knew what it was like to work. And he also worked spiritually, obviously. He was God. He came to this earth and he came with a purpose. He came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. And ultimately he came to fulfill the purpose of dying for our sins, of conquering sin and death once for all so that we can have a relationship with God. And he rose again, and that was the ultimate work he came to do. Now you might say to me, well, Amy, that's Jesus. 
Like, he's literally God. And so it was easy for him to live a spiritual life. You know what? Jesus, yes, he was God, but he he took the form of a human being. He was 100% human. He was like you and me. He was tested. He was tempted. He had to work. He cried. You know what? He was hungry. He still worked. Yes, he was God, but he showed us what it looked like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He showed us what it was like to walk in the purpose that God had put on his heart to do. For us, God has also given us this purpose. But it starts with this foundation where we where we know that our God is actually a worker, that he actually loves to work. You know, Jesus even said in John 5, 17, he healed on the Sabbath, which was a no-no, because the Sabbath day was holy in the Jewish Jewish culture, right? And Jesus did something good, and people were upset with him. And you know what he says? He says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. There's this foundation that we need when it when we're looking at work or our jobs or whatever, we need to recognize that God is working. And this actually sometimes helps us step into our spiritual work in a secular world, knowing that God has called us to something. And this leads to the next piece of this foundation, and it's about how God has created us. How has he actually created us? You know, and back in, again, Genesis 1, 26, a lot of you guys know this, 26 and 27, and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is profound. And sometimes we just allow it to become, oh yeah, God created the heavens and the earth, and oh yeah, God created man in his own image, and blah, 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 whatever. No, like this is foundational. We are created in God's image, the creator who created everything in this world. When it talks about the animals, it says, and he created the ox according to their likeness, and this according to their likeness, and the birds according to their likeness. But then it stops, and it pauses, and it takes a step back in in the nature, in the creation narrative, and it says, but God said, let us create man in our image, in the image of God. See, God has created each one of us in his image. And why would he create us in his image? We are the only ones who have the potential to have a relationship with God. Our God is a relational God. He loves relationship, even within the Trinity. They're all in relationship to each other. Yes, God is one, but he's three in one. I don't understand it because our God is awesome. But he's a relational God and created us to have a relationship with him. He is the source of of life. See, here's the thing. If we are ripped apart from the source of life, there is no life. In high school youth, we talk about we want to go deep in this idea of roots going deep into the source of life, into God. And the reason we want to do that is so that when the storms of life come on us, we are not uprooted. When I've tree planted, I've seen many trees uprooted. When, when they clear a plot of ground 
and then the trees along the outskirts are all uprooted because they don't have the trees around them anymore and they're not strong enough. The roots have not gone deep enough and when the storms come, they are uprooted and what happens when they're disconnected from the source of life? They die. We were created to have a relationship with God, the source of life. And when we're uprooted from Him, when we're disconnected from Him, we cannot live life to the full. And how does that happen with sin? Sin entered the world with Adam and Eve. And since then, humanity has been looking for a purpose, has been looking for their spiritual calling, has been trying to fill a vacuum, but they cannot fill it apart from a relationship with God. He is the source of life. And that's why Jesus came to do his work, so that he could mend that relationship and we could have life again. Not just life in eternity, but life today. If none of, or if some of you do not know Jesus as your life today, he wants you to know life. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him because he has created you for a relationship with him. This is profound. First off, that we are created in God's image for a relationship. It sounds, you guys are probably thinking, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. Come back to it. We can never get away from these basics. We need to be solid in them and foundational in them. God has created us for a relationship with Him. But then also out of that, you know, in ancient Near Eastern um, writings, when this this idea of being created in someone's image, it's like this idea of putting up a statue or something to commemorate some awesome person. And, and it's to bring honor and glory and to say, this is what this person has done. So when we think about we were created in God's image, we are literally walking around statues that are called to bring glory and honor to God. That is part of our purpose on earth is to bring glory to God. It starts with a relationship from there with him, and then from there it launches to glorify our creator. And how do we glorify him? It's by doing the things that he's called us to do. It's by stepping into this spiritual work. And what does that mean? You know, a lot of times we think that maybe the our secular passions or the things that get us excited or... Um, the things that are non-spiritual, you know, I wrestled with this in college for a long time, thinking, well, oh, I felt guilty for wanting to travel, or because I liked hiking, or because I liked snowboarding, and I was like, well, they're not spiritual, and so I actually felt guilty until finally God prayed me, and he said, Amy, those are the things that I've put inside of you. I've created you in my image, and those things that you're passionate about, I'm passionate about. I want to do them with you. I want to enjoy life with you. Why do we think that things that we enjoy doing and we're passionate about and we get excited about, why do we think that God doesn't care about them? Why do we think that they're secular? Why do we think that they're bad and we can't enjoy them? Obviously, yes, if they're sinful, that's wrong. <laughs> we shouldn't be enjoying sinful things. And that's what sin does. It mars really good gifts that God has given us. But if God has created us in His image, don't you think the things that you're excited about, that you're passionate about, the things that the Father is excited about and passionate about? Why do we steal it? Why do we think God, God just doesn't care? You know, Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it abundantly. Life to the full. Why 
why do we think that that only starts when we die here and then go to heaven? No, life abundant starts when we come to Jesus. Life abundant looks like passion in every single area of our life. Life abundant looks like taking God's hand and doing life together. Him infiltrating and giving passion and breathing new life into those places where it's like, they're not spiritual though. And God says, I make them spiritual. I want to do them with you. To step into the spiritual world and secular world, it starts with the fact that God is a creator that he has created us in his image to have a relationship with him and then from there to step into the gifts and the calling and the passions that he has called us to do. This is where it starts. You know, even in Ecclesiastes, there's five five keys in the book that kind of keeps coming up and it says that we're not even able to enjoy our work apart from relationship with Christ. And it's a blessing from God, that God gives us work and then allows us to enjoy it. It's actually only through Christ that we can even enjoy our work, that we can even enjoy the pleasures that God has given us, the gifts that God has given us on this earth. You know, I, I just think God is a God. This is what God has been really speaking to me, actually, recently, and overwhelming me with. And I've just been praying that God would overwhelm you today with the sense that God delights in you. He absolutely is crazy about you. For some reason, sometimes we have this view of God that he's a taskmaster, and he's just like, come on, all work, spiritual work, share the gospel. And yes, we're called to share the gospel, but you know what? The Great Commission talks about it, even in the, the Greek language, it's as if while you, our, while you are living, you will make disciples. If you are inviting God into every aspect of your life, as you're going throughout your day, the Holy Spirit will point out different people to you, and you will be able to lead lead people to Christ as you're living your work, as you're living your job, as you're living with Christ, and you're doing life with Him. It's not like God is saying, oh, I'm disappointed in you. You went hiking for the day. No. He's like, sweet, we're going hiking today. It's not like God is disappointed in you because you're a plumber. No, he's like, okay, let's go and let's do this to the best of our ability today. And I'm going to empower you and I'm going to work with you. I'm going to make you a light. This is what I have put in you to do. It's not like God is disappointed in you if, if you're a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. God isn't disappointed in you if you're, if you're a teacher, if you're a janitor, if you're a nurse or whatever you are. If God has called you to that, he delights in you. He, he loves that you're using the gifts that he's put in you because they originated in him. He's the best accountant. He's the best plumber. He's the best scientist. He is everything. Our God delights in you. I think about this sometimes. You know, how long do the Rocky Mountains exist? Before any human eye saw them, before any person stood in awe of the Rocky Mountains and their grandeur, how long did they exist for? And why did they exist? I think just because God enjoyed them. He's a God of pleasure. He's a God of delight. He just delights in them and he enjoys them. And then he allowed us, his creation, to enjoy them with them. Here's the thing. Our God has created us in his image. 
to do good works, to bring glory to him. And you know, in, in, or in Genesis 1.26, uh, this is our part of our purpose too. It says, and let them rule over the fish of the sea. See, we were created to actually rule as God's representatives, as God's vice regents on this earth. And how do we rule? How do we become his representatives? It's in our jobs. It's in our day-to-day lives to actually rule and work as God's representative, to be light and salt in the workplace, in every arena of our world. Because if we're all missionaries, who's going to have credibility with, with business owners? Who's going to have the credibility with accountants? Who's going to have credibility with financial advisors? Who's going to have credibility with the plumbers, with the janitors, with with whatever, with truck drivers? Like, who's going to have the credibility? He has called each and every one of us, given us gifts to go and be lights in every arena of this world. What arena has God called you to? What gifts has he given you? Are you just surviving life? Are you just trying to get through? Do you view work as mundane? Do you view work as a necessary evil? Because actually work isn't a curse of the fall. Rather, work was commissioned by God in creation, and then the fall affected our work. So work is difficult now. Yeah, work isn't always going to be fun. It's not always going to be roses and peaches and whatever else is good. Maybe you guys hate roses. Well, then it's, I don't know. It's not like life is always going to be easy. Because that's what the fall has done. It has affected everything on this earth and it has marred it. And our work was actually cursed when we sinned. doesn't mean that God wants to reconcile that and renew that. That's why Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. So what would it look like to actually step into that calling? That spiritual work that God has given us in the secular world. To view our secular jobs as a spiritual calling that God has called us to, that God has anointed and gifted us for, and that as we do that, God is glorified. See, this broad theology, this foundation that I kind of want us to launch from for the rest of our lives is that our God is the worker. He's the creator. And he created us in his image for a relationship with him. And because he's created us for a relationship and he's given us passions and gifts, the way that we actually glorify him is by ruling or working as his representatives, as his vice regents. You know, that same idea comes out in Colossians 2 and it says, whatever you do, whether in work or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it look like to do something in someone else's name? It means that you've been given the authority, that you have been commissioned to go and do something on someone else's behalf. In a sense, for example, today I was commissioned by Pastor Paul, by the elders, by um, the, the men that I pray with this morning. They commissioned me and sent me out to preach this morning. Maybe they didn't, maybe they're regretting that now, and maybe you are too, but you can take it up with them, right? <laughs> but in the same way, when Jesus walked on this earth, he was commissioned by God to go and preach the gospel and to finish the work, to bring reconciliation. And in the same way, Jesus commissioned us to go and continue that work, to step into that spiritual work in our secular world. Are we doing it? 
So right before, I, I want to get to application, but there's just two caution points that I want to say before we get to application. And it's first that this cult in life, this, this life that we are called to live, is supposed to be one of faith and not by sight. There is no black and white. It's not going to be the same for one person as it is for the other person. We cannot compare one to another because we have all been given gifts different gifts and that's where all of us need to seek the heart of the father to say god what have you gifted me in where are you calling me what arena of life am i supposed to be a light so i i want to say let's not compare one to another because some of you are called into lucrative environments some of you have been given that gift and that call to work in wealthy environments and in a sense i'd say all of us have been because we're in north america but here's the thing. If you're gifted and called there, awesome. But guard your heart. Because it's very easy, like in First Timothy says, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It does not mean that money is evil. But it means that the love of money can become a lot of hiccups in your life. So if you're just working to make a paycheck, you might have some love of money. And it's going to lead to bad things. God doesn't want that. He came to give you life and life abundantly. He's given you gifts and passions and desires and wants you to use them and, and to glorify him in that. But once money becomes the, the sole thing that we're going after, that usually leads us into some pretty dark paths and lifeless dead ends. So if you're choosing a job or if you're in a job based on a paycheck, I challenge you today, maybe seek the Lord's heart. But is that where God wants you? Is that where He where He wants you to be? Is that utilizing the gifts and the ability that He has given you? Because He has way bigger things than a paycheck for you. And this kind of leads me to my second cautionary point. And it's a little bit difficult as a woman to say, because let's be honest, there are natural gender roles or or situation. So if I'm going to have babies, Trevor's not the one who's going to be able to carry a baby. <laughs> you know, it's just not natural or physically possible. So if we're going to have kids, that means I won't be able to work for a while. So I don't know if, like, men don't have to consider that in the same way when they're choosing a career. I'm not saying that women don't have a part in this, because all of us have a calling, have gifts, have abilities, and it's not like women are just created to have babies. That's one aspect of a way bigger calling from God. However, I think that there is this deep weight that men maybe carry more so, and it's this idea of, well, I need to provide. And on one hand, I want to say amen. That's amazing. If you feel that weight of needing to provide, that is a God-given responsibility and weight that he has put on you. Because, let's face it, God the Father, He is the giver of all good gifts. He is the provider and He desires to provide. So if you have this weight on your heart to provide for your family, that comes from the Father's heart. That's a beautiful thing. But I want to caution you, because if as parents, you want to provide for your family in the best way possible, and if that comes from God, don't you think that maybe God wants to provide for you? You don't have to do it alone, nor are you supposed to. If 
we're choosing a job or a work or a career based on a paycheck because I have to provide, I, I would dare say that you see work as a necessary evil, as something that is just to be survived, and you give 40 hours of your week to it or more, and it's just something that you have to do because, well, nobody else is going to do it. When God's saying, hey, what about me? What would it look like to actually be freed up as parents, as people, to step into spiritual work, considering our gifts, our passions, our abilities, and actually work for God, not a paycheck? And work for Him in that when I'm going to work, I'm not relying on the paycheck, but I'm relying on God. What would that look like to actually free us up? You know, and this is something that Trevor and I have been wrestling with, and, and we've been walking through this. Saying, okay, God, how are you going to provide? What do you have for us? What's the call that you have placed on our lives? What does it look like to live spiritual lives and work for you? What does that look like? Is it easy? No. And if God is challenging you to maybe step into something else or to seek his face, it's going to be scary. But it's going to be worth it. Because God has something way bigger than a paycheck. He has life abundant. He loves to provide. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's able to. But it, once again, it's a life of faith. It's a walk of faith, not by sight. You won't know the answers beforehand. So those are my cautionary points, and you can like battle with me or you know dialogue with me later. And it's hard to kind of speak about some of these things, but it has been so heavy on my heart that. We're called to live spiritual lives, and God has created us in His image to live life to the full, to use the gifts that God has given us, and to walk that out and be His image bearers, His representatives, His vice regents here on earth, and light in every arena of life. So, what does it look like tangibly? You know, some of you might be sitting here and you're like, I'm in high school. <laughs> I don't work a job, or I'm in college, and I'm just working a dead-end job right now because that's not my career. You know what? This still applies to you. This still applies to you because even if you keep reading in Colossians 3, in verse 23, when it's talking to slaves, when Paul is talking to slaves, he says, whatever you do in word and deed, do it as if working for the Lord, for Jesus, not for man, because God will reward you. You know, this time in life, if you are a student, do your studies as if it was your job, because it is your job. Work at it with all of your heart and invite God into your homework. Invite God into your classes. Invite God as you're standing at the till, checking people through, and then say, God, can you give me passion today? Can you open my eyes to see people who need a smile, who need a good work, rather than just doing a job, actually living into your spiritual call in Dairy Queen? Right, Heidi? Wherever it is, at Walmart, at, at the little store in Lacombe, wherever it is, God wants to bring passion there. God wants to bring passion and a purpose in school. This is not a waste of time. God uses every season of our life. He's such a good God. He uses the dead, seemingly dead times or pointless seasons of our life to propel us on to the next season of our life. So if you're a student, Work at it with all your heart. If you're in a job for like a means to an end, work at it 
as if you're working for God, not for man. Invite God into it. You know, maybe some of you, um, I recognize some of you might not be able to work right now. And this could be a very frustrating message potentially because you're like, I want to work and I'm actually physically not able. And if that's you, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why you're in this season. However, what I do know is that God is a big God and He has a purpose for this season as well. Seek the Lord's face and ask Him, what's my purpose? What gifts have you given me? How can I step into my spiritual work in this season of life when I'm not able to work physically? Ask God. He'll show you. He wants you to live life abundantly. That means today. You know, maybe for some of you, you're retired. It's not like, okay, well, check. I've done my spiritual work, and now I get to enjoy. (laughs) Yes, you get to enjoy, but your spiritual work has changed. What are the gifts that God has given you still, and what is he calling you to today? In this new season of life, how can you step into spiritual work in a secular world? What What does God want to do with you? Where does he want to take you with your new time? And for his stay-at-home parents, you know, maybe one of the greatest callings, right? You get to raise kids, but it feels very mundane if you're changing diapers. How can you use this season to step into your spiritual work, to invite God into the season of laundry and dishes and diapers and blah, 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 all the list never ends, right? Invite God into it. Invite him in and say, God, let's do this together. Help me when my baby is screaming. I love on that sort of thing. And for all of us who are working, are we being good stewards? Are we being good stewards of our, t- of our gifts and our time? Are we working as God's representative? Are we being obedient to God's call to be the best accountant, carpenter, plumber, nurse, financial advisor, salesman, mechanic, musician, teacher, whatever it is? Are we being a good steward? You know, this morning as I was praying, it was, it was cool because Rob shared and he, he just said, man, working at AMA, I always wrestled like uh, I wanted to, I was always looking for the next thing until finally my wife freed me up and said, Rob, you're happy. We're making it. Let's, this is what you're called to do. And he's had so many opportunities to pray with people on the side of the road when he saves them from their car that has died on them, right? You know, like there's a spiritual calling that he has stepped into with AMA. That's for all of us, you guys. It's not just pastors. It's not just missionaries. Are we being good stewards of the gifts that God has given us? Are we working and being representatives, God's vice regents in the arenas that we're in? And I am not saying this to condemn anybody. If God wants to convict, conviction is his grace that leads to repentance, that leads to change and a fuller life in God. You know, are we living our lives as good stewards? And if you are, that's amazing. Keep going. And for all of us, how do we keep going? How do we live our spiritual work or do our spiritual work? And I think that comes back to Colossians 3. In verse 1, this is what it says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. I love the book of Colossians, and if you read it, notice how many times it says, in Christ, with Christ, in him, through him, all of this stuff. Christ is your life, and when Christ raises from the dead, you too will raise. Like, everything revolves around Christ, and that's why all of life is supposed to be spiritual. So how do we, how do we practically live our spiritual work in our secular jobs? So keeping your eyes fixed up. By fixing our minds on things above where Christ is seated, not on earthly things, not on our paycheck, not on the garbage that goes on at work, but rather fixing your eyes up and inviting the Holy Spirit to infiltrate every aspect of your job. Keep your eyes up. And, and what does it, you know, like he continues on, and we read it earlier in verse 12, and it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, like, it, live it chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. God delights in you. And then he continues on and says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all went into our jobs tomorrow and lived that? I guess tomorrow's a day off. But when you go to work the next time, can you imagine what that would be like if we were kind, compassionate, forgiving, loving? I think people might look at us and say, what do you have? I want it. I want it. Matthew 5, right? So that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We're called to be light. We're called to be salt of the earth. In every arena of this world, there's a spiritual calling that God has gifted you for and called you into. So if you're being a good student of your gifts, keep going. Put your eyes up on Jesus and clothe yourself with all of these things, with compassion, humility, kindness, and all of them. But maybe today you're like, ooh, maybe I'm not being a good student. Maybe I'm not doing too well. Once again, condemnation comes from the pit of hell. <laughs> conviction is God's grace. If there's a bit of conviction, I just want to encourage you to seek God's heart. To ask God, what have you created me for then? It will be scary, but it will be terribly worth it. It'll be so worth it to come before the Father because conviction, once again, leads to repentance, which leads to a change of heart, which leads to full life in God. What does God have for you? Here's the thing. You have one life for us. One life, each one of us. And each one of us has a sacred calling. Each one of us has different gifts and abilities and callings and passions that God desires us to use so that He might be glorified. Are you living it? Can I encourage us to actually step into our spiritual work in a secular world? 